Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. All right. Uh, if you guys have your Bibles, would you turn? Um, we're going to have a, a scripture on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, you want to turn with me to the book of John. Book of John. I believe we're in John chapter 2, or yeah, chapter 2. Got to turn there as well. And we're, we're starting at verse 13. Um, as, before we jump into that, I just want to pray and just get this going. Jesus, we love you, God. We love your word. We love what you're doing in our lives and um, that you're refining us, God, that you're uh, desiring in us way more than we even could desire in ourselves, a, a sense of breakthrough and a sense of, of, of abundance and joy. And so, Lord, your word makes it so clear that um, your word pierces and it, it cuts. Um, and it's all so that we can be healed and set free and have wisdom and guidance and maturity and so that we can walk in the fullness of who you are. And so, Father, thank you for your word. Um, more importantly, thank you for your son, Jesus, um, that we get to stand and walk and live and breathe in freedom. And so it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Um, so if you have your Bibles, <clears throat> let's read this passage of Scripture. So we've been going through the book of John. And um, we're, we're going to be on the book of John, in the book of John for a while. <clears throat> so if you have your Bibles, John chapter 2, starting at verse 13, this is a very interesting passage of scripture that I would argue gets really taken out of context. So we're going to dive in. It says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip of, out of cords. I'm going to read that again. This is Jesus. He made a whip out of cords. And he drove all of them from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins and the money changers, and he overturned or he flipped tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And we'll discover the other um, gospels have a little bit different variation of what he says. Another says, stop turning, my house is to be a house of prayer. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews res then responded to him, what sign can you show from us to prove all authority about all of this? And uh, we're going to jump into that next week. But, you know, when we think of Jesus, I, I, I don't really know, like, the picture you have of Jesus. Um, I don't know, like, what you see when you think of Jesus. And when I was a little boy, I had a certain image of him, right? And then we have, like, the chosen, and we have things that can really help us articulate. Remember that Jesus was a real person during a real time, right? So he, he's not just like this figurative uh, creep, like person. He's actually like a, a real human being who lives on this earth. And so John, again, articulates that, that Jesus wasn't just a human being, but he was also God. So he was fully man, but he was fully God. So 
Um, when, when, I, when I used to think about Jesus, and when I was in, in, in children's school, when I was, my mom and dad would take me, and I would go, and, you know, I used to think of Jesus like just this happy man with, like, a really thick beard, and, you know, he had, like, a, a lamb on his shoulder. He's, like, walking around, <laughs> right? Um, and, and I would say that's, that's half of who Jesus is, you know? That's not the full picture, um, so many of us then have this image that Jesus is just all tender. It's just all love. And he is all love and he is all tender. But there's more to Jesus than just that. And so what happens is, I would argue in our culture more than ever, we need to have a, a redefined image of who Jesus is. So if I could title this conversation, it would be tough and tender. Tough and tender. Um, I know for me, as, as a father and as a husband, you know, I think I posted something on social media and I'm really careful what I post on social media. I want to post everything right now. So it's all this like stuff, but it's like, that's unhealthy, so I won't do that. But um, I posted like this, this image uh, or this video of like this guy like at the park with a knife. Do you guys see that? Some of you are like, what? And, and he's like literally going and stabbing at a playground. And I just was watching this and I'm like, what in the world is going on in our world right now? Right? So if somebody came to my house, my house, and, um, and knocked on our door and had a knife, do you think Kelly would want to answer it? Or, or even me? I wouldn't even answer it. But what if he's trying to get in the house? So let's talk about like, him getting in the house. Imagine he gets in the house. Who's going to go after this individual when Lenny and Zoe are in the room? Kelly? Kelly, 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 come on. I need you to... What are we going to do? Kelly, help. Like, you get, you get the humor of that, but, like, it's really serious. So um, Father's Day is coming up, so, like, like, if we can be honest, that a, a man should step up and say, that's not on my watch, right? Now, notice, we're going to have a great conversation about this. Jesus is angry in this passage. I need you to know that. You're like, well, anger is a sin. No, that's not true. It's what you do with your anger that can become a sin. Now, Doctrum, Bill Doctrum taught me this um, because I used to think that when you get angry, you're sinning. It's like, no, that's not true. It's, it's again, it's what you do with that anger that makes you sin. So um, it's possible in this story, not possible, this is what happens. Jesus is so enraged, he's so upset, he's so frustrated, he's so mad, he's so angry that he begins, he grabs he builds a, a whip, and, and he starts flipping tables. Now, can you imagine, like, if you're just happy doing that, right? You got, like, a whip. You, like, got a big old smile on your, your face. That's not the picture here. Jesus is angry. And so if Jesus gets angry, that should ask the question, like, there are things that Jesus gets angry about. Again, he doesn't allow the anger to make him sin. Um, what makes you angry then? Do you get angry? Um, and then I would argue that the majority of the time, because we're not Jesus or we haven't walked with Jesus long enough or we don't understand our own within, that we will allow our anger to make us sin. That, that anger will produce sin in our life. Now, going back to the story of, of the house, right? Um, I've, I've learned a lot in, in these, honestly, you know, I finished school and I'm like, I just want to learn more about men and uh, I want to be healthy and, 
And how do, I, how do we build a culture, like in this culture that we're in, is like, like men are so depleted and there's no, uh, there's no growth, there's no maturity, there's no fear of God. And, and um, so then we get back to the conversation, like who's the leader of the home? Well, both of the, the, the man and the wife are leaders, but God, I'm sorry to say, like in the scripture, he's placed the, the man as, as, a, as a spiritual leader. I'll give you an example. Kelly would never say if a man comes in the house, um, I got it, Sam. <laughs> right? So what makes it any different when it's spiritual? What makes it any different? Like the devil who hates you, who can do more to you than just stab you with a knife. He can ruin your family for generations. And I would argue that men aren't standing up against the injustice of evil. So, um, tough and tender. Jesus is both tough and tender. I want to read you the context of this. The pilgrims to Jerusalem. So remember, we talked about the feasts, right? When we did the teaching like apartment. Um, the feast, there was, there was a handful of feasts where God commanded in the Old Testament to travel all the way to Jerusalem to the temple. Now remember, the temple was a place where you worshipped. If you were in synagogue, in other, any other space, you didn't worship Yahweh or God. You only truly worshipped him in the temple, which was in Jerusalem, which was on Mount Zion. So this is crazy to think about. Bless you, Paige. This is crazy to think about <laughs> that there were like two million people at a time that would travel all around this time of the world, which was the Eastern world. Two million people that wanted to worship God and to um, ex examine the Passover. Two million. Could you imagine that? That's a lot of people, right? So in this... <clears throat> There was a tax that every Jew over 19 years old must pay. Now watch this. This was the temple tax. The tax was one half shekel, and it was equivalent to almost two days wage. So you had to work two days, and then you had to like pay a certain tax. Isn't that crazy? To like be a part of this Passover and to enter into the temple. For all ordinary purposes in Palestine, all kinds of currency were valid. Silver coins from Rome and Greece and Egypt and Ty Tyre and Sidon and Palestine itself were all circulation and there were all coins and they were all valid. However, not inside the temple. Why? They were unclean. So the temple tax had to be paid either in Galilean shekels or in shekels of the sanctuary that come within the temple. These were Jewish coins and so could be used as a gift to the temple. The other currencies were foreign and they were unclean. They might be used to pay ordinary debts, but not to pay a debt to God. Now, you got to understand the context here. We're talking Old Testament mindset, okay? We don't do that today on a Sunday morning, right? You don't have to pay in order to, like, receive the power and the love and the grace of God. But we'll discover Jesus is even bothered by this, that they had this mindset, so pilgrims arrived from all over the world with all kinds of coins. So the temple courts there sat, watch, it says the money changers. Now I want to talk about the money changers. If their trade had been straightforward, they would have been fulfilling an honest and necessary purpose. But what they did was to charge a commission 
for every half shekel they changed. So they're inside the temple, like sitting at booths. And if you came from from, uh, Egypt and you had like an Egyptian coin and you wanted to trade it so that it was a Galilean coin, there was a charge for that. So to make a second charge on every half shekel of change, they had to give a larger coin that was tendered. So if a man came in with a coin of value, of which was two shekels, he had to pay it to get it changed. And again, to get his change of three shekels. So it gets wild. Like There are so many exchanges going on. That's all you need to know. It's pretty interesting. In other words, the money changers made considerable capital out of this. So they were getting a little bit more than they needed. The wealth which acquired from the temple tax and from this method of money changing was fantastic. The annual revenue of the temple from the temple tax has been estimated to run to the equivalent of $100,000. That's a lot of money today. Imagine then. Because there's like 2 million people coming to the temple. So the money changers were making bank, like a lot of money. In history, when a conqueror captured Jerusalem and raided the temple treasury in 54 BC, he took from it the equivalent of several millions without coming near to exhausting it from the temple. You see how crazy that is? So they would leave the coins inside the temple because it was like to God. The fact that the money changers received some commission when they changed the coins of the pilgrims was not in and of itself wrong necessarily. However, because that was a part of the system, what enraged Jesus was the pilgrims to the Passover who could ill afford it were being taken advantage of by the money changers. Imagine you were poor and you wanted to like honor God. You, you came all the way from Egypt and you're like, man, like, I, my, my great, 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 great grandmother and father, like, were, they lived in Jerusalem and they worshiped God and, and, and I just want to go and give reverence to God on the Passover for what he did in Egypt when the angel of death passed over and the blood was over the, the wall, right, the door, and he passed over so that my great, 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 great grandchildren or grandparents didn't die. That's what happened in Egypt with Moses and the, and the plagues. So that's what they celebrated. They celebrated the Passover of the angel of death. And in other words, they celebrated the Passover going out of Egypt into the desert and eventually into the promised land. So you see what's going on here, right? There's a massive celebration that they wanted to remind themselves of. However, it was an incredibly shameless social injustice. And what was wrong, it was being done in the name of religion. Could you imagine that? So we have money changers in the temple courts where this was a house of worship and prayer. Then the pilgrims that wanted, it gets worse. The pilgrims that wanted to sacrifice an animal or a dove or a lamb or an oxen had to get the animals inspected because the animals via the Bible needed to be clean. So there's now a fee to get the animals inspected. You see how crazy this is? Like what is going on here? A pair of doves? could cost as much as 15 times more inside the temple than if it had been purchased outside. And here again was barefaced extortion at the expense of poor and humble pilgrims who were practically blackmailed into buying their animals from the temple booths if they wished to sacrifice at all. So it was that which moved Jesus to flaming anger. You see where his anger is, is coming from? There is a lack of reverence. There's a lack of honor. There's a, it's, just, it's a money house at this point. 
Because Jesus loved God, he loved God's children. And it was impossible for him to stand passively by while the worshipers of Jerusalem were treated this way. So this is not Jesus with the lamb smiling. He's upset right now. And that's honestly like, I've, I've learned this in my life. Like, um, both men and women, it doesn't matter. But like, <laughs> we, we need to learn how to be both tender. I think we can get that peace. We have the tenderness of God and the love of God. But we also need to learn how to be tough. So there's, there's a toughness and there's a tenderness, but it goes deeper. What did all the gospels say about this event? No two of the disciples give Jesus' words in precisely the same way. So they said this. Remember, they're, they're, they had their own vision. Matthew gives them as my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. Mark says my house shall be called a house of prayer for all of the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. Luke said my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. John says take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. So there's like four different views, right? There were at least three reasons why Jesus acted as he did. So if you're taking notes, here it is, and why he got so incredibly angry. One, he acted as he did because God's house was being violently disrespected. There was no respect or honor or reverence to the house of God. In the temple, there was worship without reverence. It may be worship which does not realize the holiness of God. And now watch this, friend, for both you and I in 2023. When we think of the house of God, are, are we, do we have any reverence for it? Like, like coming together and, and worshiping and, 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 and getting prayer. And when we get into like small group or house church on a regular day, like when we come together, because notice we are the, the temple. We are the house of God. So whatever you do with your life and your body, it's like it's not just for you or about you. It's, it's like all of it's God's. So there was, there was worship without any reverence. And it's like, that terrifies me because it's like, is that happening at Coin Church? And I, I can only, like, control that part of me. I can't do that for you. So whenever you worship God and, and you, you honor God, like, is there an actual reverence? And I'm not talking about fear, like you're terrified and he's looking at you with the coward brow, but it's, it's more like an awe of God that moves you, that compels you, that draws you closer to him. It may be worship in which the leader or congregation are completely unprepared. That could be another thing. There's no preparation. It's just kind of like, oh, we'll just make it happen. Come. And so there's no like organizational piece. That's important. It also may be the use of the house of God for purposes in a way where reverence and the true function of God's house are forgotten. In that court of God's house at Jerusalem, there would be arguments about prices. Imagine that. Right? I, I, um, I took a trip to Israel, and then we passed over into um, to Jordan, and, um, and then we went to a place called Petra. It's like Indiana Jones, where he has, like, the holy veil and stuff. And, oh, my gosh, these guys wanted, like, all my money. They are, like, professional at it, you know? And so, like, one of them got me. He's, like, I'm, like, in the group with the church, <laughs> and he's, like, hey, um, I'll take you up the mountain on my donkey, 
and I'll show you another view. And my mom was terrified that I did this. Uh, she wasn't there with me. I told her later. And I'm like, absolutely, how much? And he's like, however much the currency was exchanged, I had money. I was like, let's do it, man. So then we go, and he's like talking to me, and I'm like, man, this guy might kill me right now. I don't know what's going to happen. Because we were, it was just me and him. And the whole group was like somewhere way off. But he was going to take me around so I could see the top of, of the rocks. And like they built a whole city. It was wild what they did. Anyway, we get like up there, and then he stops. And I'm like, oh, here we go. And he's like, hey, if you want to keep going, it's going to be X amount more. And I'm like, you're joking me, dude. Come on, man. I'm like, hey, I'm not going to keep playing that. So I was like, I'll give you this, but I'm not going to give you any more. And he's like, okay, yeah, when we get to another spot, I can take you to another level, but you'll have to pay a little more. And I'm like, just get me there. I'll give you this much, that's it. If not, I'm going to go back. But like, they were so good at this stuff. Imagine being in the temple courts, and you've traveled like a really far distance and they're talking about money and exchanging and this and that and you hear birds and oxen and all this stuff and it's just like, like you can't focus on why you even got there in the first place. You just hear all this money and this clatter and all this stuff and it's like that particular form of irreverence may not be common now, sure, with money and all that stuff, but there are other ways of offering an irre irrelevant and un unfearful, like there's just... We come into worship, and it's just no big deal. And man, like, I wonder if Jesus gets angry about that. There's no honor. There's no fear of God. And there's no, man, like, you've done so much for me. What, what is my sacrifice unto you? What do I get to bring you, God? And he's like, just bring me a softened heart, man. Just give me your life, and I'll do something with it. Just stop living the way that you want to live and live the way I've commanded and I promise you I'll give you a beautiful future that you could never dream or imagine. That's what he requires of us, a living sacrifice. My entire being and body and mind and way. The second, so the first is he acted, he got angry because things were violently being disrespected. The next is Jesus acted as he did in order to show that the whole focus of animal sacrifice was completely irrelevant. Let me, I'm going to read you a, a bunch of scripture, but stay with me here. For centuries, the prophets had been saying exactly that. What, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Bringing offerings is futile, Isaiah says that. For on the day that I brought your ancestors out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to them or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. That's Jeremiah. With their flocks and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. That's Hosea. Though you, they offer choice sacrifices, though they eat flesh, the Lord does not accept them. That's Hosea again. For you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. Book of uh, the Isaiah, or Psalm says. So look at all of these passages of scriptures from the prophets. They're, again, the prophet brings the voice of God to the people. And God, through the prophets, is saying, I'm done with these burnt sacrifices. Like, it means nothing to you. You're just going and doing it, and then you go and do whatever you want. And it's like, I wonder how we do that today. In our lives, if we consider ourselves disciples of Jesus. 
So there were many prophetic voices telling of the sheer irrelevance of the burnt offerings and the animal sacrifices, which smoked continuously this altar at Jerusalem. Could you imagine that scene? That's a lot of blood and like smell, and it's just like, that's that's like gross, right? But they were doing it because in their eyes, it was like, this is how I can get to God. That's religion, by the way. This is how I can get to God. Jesus acted as he did to show that no sacrifice of any animal can ever, be, can ever put a person right with God. We do this today, by the way, in our churches here in America. Um, true, we don't sacrifice animals. That would be very interesting. Um, that's personally, that's why I'm incredibly careful. And we, as an elder team and as a leadership team, and as a pastor, I'm super careful at what we buy and purchase here at the church. Can I be honest? Like, we have, like, this projector screen, and it's about to be done. And I, like, I want, like, an LED screen, like, really bad, right? But it's, like, why do we need that? I believe that we could get that one day, so we can all celebrate that. It would be awesome. But it's, like, is it about the LED screen, or is it about God? You see what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I get worried, and, and I, I say this with, with all, like, fear, um, because I don't want to cast judgment on other pastors or churches, like, but the megachurch model is just not working. It's not. It's, 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 it's about the glamour and, and, and the function, and it's about the building, and it's about, I mean, how upset would you be? I would be upset if I got up here for 30 minutes and tried telling you about a, a, a money campaign to get a bigger building. Now, we might have that conversation one day, but I would never do it during the church service. That would be a meeting outside of that. Hey, if you feel like you want to give to this so we can have our own space so we don't have to lease, that would be amazing. But like, do we fear the house of God? Like you have come because your marriage, some of your marriages are breaking. Some of us, our family members are in the hospital. Some of us internally are dying. Our souls have so much corrosion around them and we're talking about money? And so I, 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 I tremble. Or can I say this, and, and I'm sorry going out on a limb, or we're talking about politics. We're bringing men and women who don't even believe in Jesus to have a panel and talk about politics when we should be talking about the word of God. And, and here's the thing. It's like, I'm sorry to say this. I, I, love, I love like my city. I love it, but I don't want to be known spiritually for politics. Get that out of here. I think Jesus would be angry at that. I'm going to breathe a little bit. <laughs> so I, I, just, I just want to say that, my friend. Now, I want to be like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I will not bow to your king. I will not bow to the politics of the day, but I bow to one king, and I don't care if it's Trump or Biden or whoever else is in the house. I'm not worried about what's going on in politics. I'm worried about what's going on in the word of God in my own heart. My friend, do you know, here we go, The, the book of Revelation, I need you to know this. We will have bad days. You know the passage of scripture in Jeremiah 29, 11, that everyone loves to quote? They were in hell. They were slaves. They were done. And God promises them that if you would just put your heart back, not to the politician, not to the Roman Empire, not to Trump or Biden, but to me as your source, I will cleanse your land and I will take care of you. So...
say that with all love. Because you know what I'm talking about. All love. That's like, I, I want my prayer for Chino and Chino Hills is not to be known for the Lonzo or the, the Ball Brothers or any politician or any political movement within the Christian conservative perspective. Though I'm conservative, friend, I'll, I'll be honest with that. Yes, I just, I just bend. Whatever the Bible says, I'm going to do that. Whatever the Bible says, I'm going to vote that way. But I still have no trust in that stuff. So Jesus says my house will be called a house of prayer, not of anything else. And so I fear God, man. Like we need to wake up. We need to fear God. What are we doing? And, and, and Jesus has every right to come and flip tables in our lives. All right. So you guys good with that? Again, you're like, I'm never coming back to this church. That's all right, man. We love you. So there's still another reason why Jesus acted as he did. Mark has a curious little addition which none of the other gospels point out. My house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations. For all nations. The temple consisted of a series of courts. Pay close attention to this. This is powerful. The temple had different courts, different rooms. And in the temple, the proper and and the, the main space inside was called the Holy of Holies. And so they would, they would put like this rope around the priest and go inside the Holy of Holies and they would like have a rope because they were terrified that God would kill the man or kill whoever goes in there. So it was a Holy of Holy place. You, you had to have a, 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 a con- only a priest could get in that space. So there was first the court of the Gentiles, then there was the court of the women, then there was the court of the Israelites, and then there was the court of the priests. There was four different courts. All this buying and selling, guess where it was done? In the first court, which is the court of the Gentiles. Which was, and and I know this enough about Jesus, if you read the book of Luke, he was for the lost. He was for those that were down and out, who did have no conception about God. He was, I could argue, yes, he was first for the Jew and then to the Gentile, but he was for the one. So this first court that they would walk into, it was all the Gentiles, that reverence God and love God and honor God, but they weren't Jew. And so there was all this buying and, and blood and smelling and money exchange inside this first court. The, the Gentile couldn't go deeper into the next courts. What was the point to go into the temple to worship God? All this buying and selling was going on in this court, which was the only place to which a Gentile might come. Beyond that point, access to him was not granted. So then, if there was a Gentile whose heart God had touched... He might come into the temple of the Gentiles to meditate and to pray and to honor God. How do you do that with everyone shouting and yelling and talking about money? How do you do that? It's like you're just like, dude, I can't like even focus on God. We don't even know how to pray for five minutes when things are quiet. Imagine like everyone yelling and screaming about money and about the fee. It's wild. The temple authorities and the Jewish traders were making the court of the Gentiles into an uproar and a rabble where no man could pray. The gathering of the oxen, the bleeding of the sheep, the cooing of the doves, the shouts of the traders, the rattle of the coins, the voices raised in bargaining disputes, all these combined to make the court of the Gentiles a place where worship became impossible. So the conduct in the temple court shut out the seeking Gentile, watch this, from the presence of God. And I would argue via the context and the text, that's what Jesus has a problem with. 
If you're going to get in the way of the presence of God, he's going to be tough. Not on my watch, Jesus says. You can do all that stuff in my name, and I'm not even in it. That's what the Bible says, by the way. Oh, I, I came to you, and I casted out demons, and I did all these things, and I did my tithe, and I served. And Jesus is like, well, but away from me, you evil dude. I never even knew you. And it's like, I did all of this in Jesus' name, but it's like, I never told you to do it. That's what the, that's what the gospel says. By the way, that's what like, my spiritual formation pastor says, Bill Doctor, me. He's like, Sammy, did God call you to go plant that church? I'm like, yeah, I think so. You know, We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. He's like, because if you do it in Jesus' name and he's not behind it, he's not going to bless it. And he might bless it. That's great. But like, did he tell you to do it in Jesus' name? I have friends that, that are like ghostbusters. They know how to cast out demons. And when they're mature enough, they don't just go around every person trying to cast out demons. He's told me, no, man, I listen to the voice of God because I'm not going to do it in Jesus' name if he didn't tell me to do it. So whatever you're doing, whatever you're buying, whatever way you're operating your business or your lifestyle or your family or your function, did Jesus say to do it? That's reverence. That's reverence, right? Guys good? So Jesus was moved to the depths of his heart because those who were seeking God were being shut out from his presence. I asked this question, is there, we're, we're almost done, worship team, you guys can come on, come on up. Is there anything in our church life, like a snobbishness, or like an exclusiveness, or coldness, or a lack of welcome? That's why I like saying like mi casa su casa, you know? or a tendency to make the gathering into a closed club? Is there an arrogance? Look at us, look at Coin Church. Look at what we're doing. Look at how we're, is there an arrogance to what we're doing? An unhealthy meticulousness, what do I mean by that? Like everything is perfection. Like one of our values is sharp edges, clean lines, and God's had to convict me of that sometimes. Like, some of these chords drive me crazy. I'm like, oh my gosh. But it's like, that's not what this is about, man. Right? It's not what that's about. A meticulousness that becomes, you become a perfectionist, and that perfectionism takes away the presence and the power of God. Because you're so focused on that thing and not the main thing. Right? Let us remember the wrath of Jesus against those who made it difficult and even impossible for the seeking stranger to make contact with God. This is why we must be, here it is, for the one. We have three pillars. We're for the one. We're for presence. And what's the last one? We're for, for mission? I don't even know the last one. I just know we're for the one. We're for the one. And we're for God's presence. Yeah, we're, we're for counter formation. That's it. Thanks, Kev. He's our elder. So we're for the one. We're for the Gentile, which, by the way, we're all Gentiles. And you could have been a part of church like I was. You could have come here, you know, um, you, you could have just, you had to come to church. You had to go to youth camp. You had to do all these things. And then you, you, you go wayward. You become a prodigal, and you leave, and you're like, I'm done with this whole God thing because it was so religious, and it was so, like, this and that. And it's like, yeah, man, I'd be, I'd be done with that, too. Right? So like we're for the one in that way. We're for the person who's never really been to church. 
never understood church, never understood God or the power of God, but I've learned, like, I still have to be, like, really, like, about this. Like, I can't alter my message just for you, if that makes sense. Does that make, that make sense? I, I'm going to love, I'm going to be tender. Tenderness, man. That's what Jesus was. So when I think of tough and tender, I want to give you two images for the men. I'll just speak to the men and for the women, because some women are really tough. And some are very tender, but they're not tough and vice versa. So, <laughs> um, when you look at like feminine and masculine, right? There's a spectrum. Um, and the way that we're raised and the way we do things. And, and one's not worse than the other. However, when we look at King David, many would argue he was more of like a feminine guy. Right? Siri even agrees with, with that. Like he's more of a feminine guy. So meaning he, he was like a poet. He like wrote songs. And he like put his heart out there. And the Bible says that he danced like naked before God and his wife was making fun of him. Like, You're weird, dude. What's wrong with you? Like be a man, right? However, David could cut men's heads off. He could kill bears and lions with his bare hand. He could stand against a man named Goliath and say, man, you have, you have nothing against my God. That is a man that is both tough and tender. And then look at Jesus. He could flip tables. So my prayer for you is that you would see him as tender, yes, but when he needs to, he's going to pull out his whip, honestly. He's going to get enraged at the, the thought, at the form, at the function of injustice done to one another. That's, by the way, why you get angry. The last time you got angry, ask yourself, why did that happen? Because nine times out of ten, there was an injustice that was done to you or to someone else, and you were enraged by that. It's what you do with that anger, again, that produces sin. But if you don't have Jesus at the center of your life, that anger will overwhelm you, and then you will sin. I'm learning how to do that, by the way. How do I get angry at the injustice of the world, of the evils of the world, but not allow that anger to make me sin? So Jesus could flip tables, but he could also look at a city. The Bible says he looked over at the city and he wept. He cried over the city, over the lost, over the broken. The Bible says, the shortest verse in the scripture, right? Jesus wept over Lazarus as he died, even though he knew he was going to raise him back from the dead. So Jesus knows how to tap into his tenderness, but he also knows how to tap into his toughness. And in the world that we live in, friend, we, we need to occupy both. So I, I've made a, a vow to myself, a promise to myself that, again, as for me and my house, I'm going to be tough. I'm not allowing evil and the injustices of evil to come knocking at my door and say, hey, I want to play you like a violin. I'm not going to allow that to happen. Kelly and I aren't going to allow that to happen for our little girls. I can't control everything that happens to Lenny and Zoe, but I can stand and walk and pray and fast and contend land for my children. I can know that God always ends things on a positive, never on a negative. That my Bible says that he fights my battles for me. I don't need to fight my battles. So... I'm going to stand in toughness, but I'm also going to be tender. We ought to be then like our rabbi, Jesus, who is both tough and tender at the face of injustice, at the face of evil, at the face of ungodliness, 
Does that make sense? I hope you receive that this morning. I know I have. I've been so convicted as I've read this and as I've processed this. I'm like, man, Lord, I, I don't want our community, Coin Church, I, 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 don't, I don't want to fall under that category. I don't want you to come into the room and, um, and be upset. Like, Sam, what, what are you doing here? Right? Is this about a stage? Is this about a microphone? Is this about like a social media platform? It's about like a brand? I mean, I love all these things, by the way. Like, do we have cool shirts? I, lo I love all those things. But when those things become more important than the main thing, we've lost our way. When we're not focused on discipleship and more about like the look, we're doing the wrong thing. When, when people are in hospitals and dying and broken, when, when, when people are, are finding uh, a way towards hell and we're not doing anything about it, we've lost our way. And so it's like, Lord, what do you require of me? What is it that you want? And he's like, I want all of you. I want your mind. I want your thoughts. I want your emotions. I want your perspective. I want your understanding to be to be in obedience to me and watch what I can do with a life that says you can have it all. So I don't know what that, I'll say, an invitation is for you and for your family and for your lifestyle and for your, for your business or from the, the spaces that you work in. I don't know what that invitation is for you, but my friend, do you fear God with a reverence and an awe? Do you love him more than, more than anything in the world? That, 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 is, that is where we need to start. I think I've said this before. Yeah, there's behaviors and then emotion and mind, and then there's the inner, but like, we don't need to work from the outside in. We need to work from the inside out. The inside is the innermost part. You know, in the Old Testament, Jesus changed it just a little bit. I'm done, by the way. Jesus changed this just a little bit in the New Testament. Jesus said, love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So the Greeks had to kind of change it a little bit because they didn't know how to articulate like the soul. Love, love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the Greeks changed it a little bit because they didn't know how to articulate soul. The, 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 the Hebrew, the Jew, they knew what the soul was. So then in the Old Testament, it says, love your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The heart is the soul. The heart is the soul. That's my innermost right here. The Bible says that the treasures of the heart, whatever's in the heart is going to come out. Whatever's inside of you is going to come out of you. <laughs> From a, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I need to watch my words, but, but I don't need to work from my words. I need to work from what's inside of me. So the heart is, is the soul piece. That's, that's, that's the space that Jesus wants to occupy, by the way. Your heart, right? Your mind, your thoughts, renew my mind, cleanse my mind, wash my mind, God. And then your strength, that's your behaviors. That's what you do outside of your body. And the last thing was in that, the way that Jesus uh, orchestrated that was, uh, in order to do that, it's, it's called like Shema. It's like we need to go to God. He speaks truth, command and truth and life and love and wisdom. He speaks that to us. And we have two choices. I either obey it and receive it and do it, or I hear it and I do nothing about it. 
and doing nothing about it is what? It's my innermost. So my prayer for you is that you would allow God to check your innermost being, check your heart. If he can get a hold of your heart, he can get a hold of your future. If he can change you from the inside out, he could change everything around you because you become transformed. Does that make sense? Um, let's stand. I know today was kind of a heavy day. I just I wanted to end on a positive. <laughs> that he loves you. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. That his promises are yes and amen. I pray a prayer of protection over you, over your family. I pray wisdom and knowledge. And I pray a fruitfulness of abundance, of maturity. I pray a zeal for God and for his house and for his commands. I pray that we would fall lovingly, that we would willingly walk towards repentance. I pray that we would learn how to be both tough and tender, that we would learn how to be loving towards one another, but how to stand our ground when there's an injustice taking place. Jesus, do it again.